Hello everyone and welcome to this webinar about why we should all work together through the lens of the SWR, the Sustainable Wine Roundtable. And the idea here really is twofold. Firstly, to engage an audience live and answer questions and have a conversation about what the Sustainable Wine Roundtable is trying to do. And we'll hear about that through the lens of some of the members' experiences. And secondly, this is designed to be a kind of FAQ, frequently asked questions for those who want to watch it afterwards to understand what it is that we're doing at the Sustainable Wine Roundtable and why we are unique, special and different. So we'll attempt to make those points over the next hour or so and looking forward very much to hearing from our speakers, but then also from all of you who are joining us with your questions, because there are many, many things we could be doing at the Sustainable Wine Roundtable and we're trying to do a few things relatively well and then build out from there. So we're looking forward to hearing your views as to what else we could do and how we could improve what we're doing currently. So the order of play will be as follows. I shall say a few words about how we got started and where we're aiming to get to. I shall then hand over to my colleague James Streeter, who's our chair, to talk about how the organisation is governed, which we think is important to do. I shall then hand over to Peter, Dr Peter Stanbury, who will talk us through the current programmes which he is leading on with our support and the support, of course, of all of our members. Then I'll turn briefly to Tom, who's going to talk us through some of the latest members and those who have decided to join us recently, and any other news, particularly around events. And then finally, we get to the, the reason you're all here, which is to hear from the likes of Alliance Wine and the Wine Society and Waitrose and Direct Wine, and of course, our producer representative, Andres from Grupo Avenea. Introductions from all of them to come. So for those of you who aren't familiar with where the SWR came from, I'm going to blame Richard Bamfield, MW, for the creation of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable because we had lunch and we did a podcast about four years ago and we were talking about the proliferation of approaches to sustainability in wine and what is required to make things easier for everybody. And I said, gosh, perhaps there's a need for some sort of coordinating body to pull that together. Who would do that? And Richard looked at me and said, well, maybe that's something you should do. And we both laughed. And now here we are a few years later, having set up that exact body. So my thanks to Richard for the original idea of the SWR. And since then, we created Sustainable Wine in the interim, which was really a kind of conferences, publishing, an outlet for various podcasts that I did over the years. But we decided to get serious a couple of years ago, and we started talking to all of you about what we could do to join up some of the dots on sustainability and wine. And we created a membership organisation modelled on other sustainability roundtables. But we hope learning from their journey, because some of them have been on a 25-year journey to get where they are, and we're hoping to leapfrog some of them and accelerate progress. So we turned to a couple of progressive retailers to get us going. Thanks very much to Anne Jones, who you'll hear from later, for helping make Waitrose our first founding member, along with System Bologge of Sweden. And from there, we then approached other founding members who joined us, and that takes us through to where we are today, which is a non-profit, purpose-driven organisation based in the UK loosely, but with members from all over the world. And we have members from New Zealand who get up at ungodly hours to talk with us about sustainability. Thanks, Jim and Cloudy Bay and colleagues for doing that. And so as we expand, we'll hopefully have more colleagues around the world who can talk to those of you watching this in, in your time zone, as well as in UK time zones over the coming years. So with that, I'll turn over to James Streeter, who we brought in earlier this year to be chair of the SWR, who has great experience in these things, loves wine, and has great experience in sustainability as well. So James, let me turn over to you just to tell everyone about how we're governing this organisation. 
Thanks, Toby. I'll keep it brief because I know that you didn't uh, join this conference to hear about governance, but it is really important that we get the right organisation structure set up in the right way so that we can make the sustainability impact really happen. So we have, as you know, a mixture of producers, growers, distribution, retail. We have organisations, industry organisations, standard setters, certifiers, academics, NGOs, etc. So it's a huge diversity amongst the membership. And that's exactly what we want. So in order to make sure that we fully represent that uh, membership, we have the sort of following structure. At the head, our board provides the steering for us. So that's uh, around about 10 of us. They have oversight really for the direction of the organisation and the governance and represent the members. In order to really reach the broader membership, though, we devised a group called the Member Engagement Group. And that has more members, that's around about 20 at the moment, spread in slightly different geographical areas and across different organisations from the board. The group of us that, that actually work at the SWR, we call ourselves the operations team, as well as Toby, Tom, Peter and myself. We have Hannah and also someone who's about to join us, Veronica. Our role is to make sure that the organisation runs properly. So there's a whole range of functions there, advocacy and engagement, working with the membership, working on our standards, on our research subject areas, knowledge management, sharing, setting up conferences, communications, marketing, etc. So it's the full suite, if you like, of everything that you'd expect in a company and in a member-driven not-for-profit such as ours. Happy to take any questions, but live now or pop them in the chat and I'll respond if there's anything you'd like to know more about the organisation. Thanks very much. And, and for those looking for the classic purpose statement and what we're doing beyond what James has said, swroundtable.org has all of that there. But really our purpose is progress through collaboration. And, and that means many things, which leads me on to Peter, because it's all very well to have highfalutin terms about collaboration and we all must work together. That actually has to mean something. So we were delighted that Peter earlier this year gives us some of his time to help us understand how we do that. And lots of members are supporting the various pieces of work that Peter will walk you through now but we welcome more so if you are a member and you'd like to get further involved now is the time if you're thinking about becoming a member hopefully this webinar will answer your questions and inspire you to join and you can contact tom to talk about the details of that but for now peter let me turn over to you to walk through as succinctly as you can the complex areas that we're working on at the moment as toby said and as james has also said what makes swr unique is the ability for organizations across the wine supply chain to collaborate. What we're trying to do is to find practical answers to some of the practical problems that people face. We've therefore got three pieces of work ongoing at the moment. The first is a benchmarking of all the international standards in wine sustainability, of which we've currently found 74. I and mean, obviously the challenge is on the one hand, standards need to respond very much to specific circumstances in the geographies where they originate from. On the other hand, at the retail end, at the consumer end, there needs to be some ability to be able to cross compare between those standards. And we're trying to square that circle. So where we think we're trying to get to, we've done so the first stage of work so far and about to embark on the second, where we think we're aiming at is what we're calling a global reference standard. A little bit like um, ISO standards work, there will be a standard at international level that says these are the factors that are seen as being important in wine sustainability. But then each of the, the existing standards will be able to say, well, actually, and we think we respond to that in the following way. So it can be both internationally comparable 
therefore stopping head scratching by consumers standing in the aisle in a supermarket, but at the same time still be locally relevant where those standards are implemented in practice. The second thing we're looking at, and again, this is also going to be a piece of work that's the start of a longer journey. We're looking at trying to find a combined position between the retail members on wine bottle weight. As we all know, the single biggest environmental impact of wine is packaging and particularly glass bottles. I mean, anywhere between about 29 and 50, 60 percent, depending on whose numbers you believe. There will be more work needed to be done down the line on other aspects of packaging, for example, looking at alternative packaging formats. But for the time being, we're working specifically on bottle weight. What's the lightest? Realistically, what's the lightest weight bottle that's feasible? And obviously, by feasible, we mean deliverable within existing supply chains without the need for there being major re-engineering of those at whichever point in the chain. We'll be reporting on that in the middle of February, and that will uh, provide a common position between all the members to focus on that. And then obviously thereafter, we will probably move on to look at other aspects of wine packaging. And then the third area we're focusing on, and this is literally just got up and running in the last few days, is looking at input usage in vineyards. This, again, is quite a complicated area because depending on where one's working, you've got issues to do with legal requirements, factors of of what actually does sustainability look like around pest management, fertilizer, dealing with weeds and so on. So we've got a group of some of supply side, so our growers, to start looking at that. So those are the three large areas at the moment. The other thing that we're beginning to look at is labour rights. One of the things that's become clear from the standards work is that whilst there's generally pretty good coverage of what might describe as environmental management at vineyard and winery level, there's much less good coverage around issues like living wage, modern slavery, and some of the tough issues like that. And there's a certain amount of reticence to engage with these. So we're starting to work out what we can do to bring those issues to the fore. Those are the areas we're focusing on at the moment, all of which have been led by what members have said they want and looking for critical mass between what members say they want. As Toby said, we'd like to do lots more, but we're also conscious that better to do three or four things really rather well, rather than to try and do lots of things and end up falling over our proverbial shoelaces. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. And as of yesterday, we created a very small working group, which so far consists of myself and Dom from the Wine Society. And one other non-SWR participant has a tiny vineyard in Spain where we are exploring incessing, which we know is a difficult and complex area, which is going to take hold over the next few years. And we thought, actually, we'd better start talking about it now. It's basically the opposite of offsetting, for those of you that don't know about it. It's effectively sequestering carbon in the supply chain, which I think all of us will need to do. Anyone in wine with a significant scope three footprint, incessing will probably be a much better solution than offsetting. The way it looks from the work that my other business does in the carbon markets is you will not be able to afford carbon credits. (laughs) You can probably not even afford them now if they're any good. And you certainly won't be able to in a few years. Shell and BP and the others will be buying them all as they currently are. So insetting, much better way, but we need to explore how it works and what it is. So Dom's bravely volunteered, thank you Dom, to explore the options with me and and others. And if any of you want to join that very informal discussion working group on insetting, do let us know. As Peter mentioned, there are other areas we could focus on. We have members in logistics and distribution. Are we doing enough for them at the moment? No, we're not. We'd love to. And we have to balance up the number of projects we have with the time that we have Obviously, I have another business to run. James has other things to do. Peter 
too. And Tom is our one full-time employee at the moment. We are bringing on some others. We've actually found two people who are going to start helping Tom part-time in the coming months, which is great. But given our limited resources, if we haven't created a program for your area of particular interest in sustainable wine so far, we apologise, we'll get round to it. But we have to do a few things we think reasonably well and build on those. But we are very keen to do more on, on logistics, transportation, etc. It's very much linked with the carbon footprint uh, references that Peter made on bottle weight. So let's keep that up very high up the agenda. Tom, before we turn to our esteemed members, why don't you just give us a few updates on who's joined us recently, because we've got some really interesting names, and perhaps mention some of the events and things we've got coming up. Well, I'm pleased to say we are a growing organisation. So some of our recent members that have joined over the last couple of weeks. From the UK, we have Raffini and Plumpton College. From Spain, Gonzales Bias, who are one of the leading sherry and wine producers. And cork supply from Portugal. So we now have two cork producers. In order to broaden the membership and make it truly inclusive, we recently created three categories for membership. Wine value chain members, so those directly connected to the wine value chain from production to retail. Associate members, so those who are either industry associations, standard holders, NGOs or research institutions and affiliate members. And these are important companies providing products or services to the wine sector. So we've broadened the membership. The aim is to make it very inclusive and to bring in the different expertise that is out there. Looking ahead to 2023, we have a global conference series with our first being in February, which is free to attend and will bring together members and industry experts to discuss some of the important issues. We have our quarterly webinar series, which is the first today. The rest in 2023 will be to focus on providing updates on our, our projects. And then we have a number of standalone webinars, with our first being next week, which is looking at developing sustainability strategies for wine businesses. There's a lot to complement the projects we have that are ongoing, but it's also an opportunity for members to be able to raise awareness of the projects that they're doing independently and to bring together other expertise and collaborate on different issues. Thanks very much, Tom. Uh, and that leads into the point of, as to why we have two websites, which has vexed us for a number of months. But we've actually reconciled that now for precisely the point that Tom just mentioned. Our remit is to reach people who are not members and to help them join the journey on sustainability, as well as to serve the membership. And so we have sustainablewine.co.uk, which is the online magazine of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable. That allows us to go and interview people who aren't members, and many who are, and to really spread the word for free on the internet about what sustainability in wine actually means. From that, when members join us, the SW Roundtable .org website becomes as relevant because that's where we will be publishing details of our activities. The list of members are on there, lists of our various governance activities and ambassadors and so on. That's our plan really is to try and reach as many people as we can to spread the word about what needs to be done, but also have a bespoke site to talk about the technical and practical outputs which the SWR will be publishing on, particularly starting next year. And Jones, let me turn to you first. I, I mentioned you earlier, you really helped us get started, so it seems fair to turn to you first. Perhaps you could say a few words about why you've helped found SWR and perhaps what you've got out of it so far and what you hope to get out of it in the future. I'm a Beers, Wines and Spirits expert at Waitrose, working on a variety of projects, including sustainability. 
which has obviously been a core of everything we do. And I, I think as a retailer, we have the privilege of being in the centre of the ecosystem. We're intricately connected with everything from the vineyard through the global supply chain all the way to a customer's home and indeed a customer's fridge. And I think I joined it having spoken to Richard and Toby at the beginning, just full of ambition and big dreams and wanting to change the world and wanting to try and pull some strands of that ecosystem together, feeling like we were definitely stronger than the sum of our individual parts and we couldn't do it alone particularly as a retailer there are lots and lots of elements where I think that things you can do together are much more likely to succeed but equally we needed a sort of third party safe space to facilitate those conversations that's where I came into it and also how we turn those big dreams into practical step-by-step actions that are somehow aspirational enough to really make a difference, but also practically viable? What can you actually do that you can implement in a way that makes sense from a customer perspective and also doesn't scare the horses? We didn't want to go out there saying, right, okay, we're not going to do bottles anymore because we all know that's just not viable at present. So I'm looking at this with a consumer lens pretty much. How can we make this consensus communicable? It needs to be concise enough that we can communicate it to customers, but actually not so concise that it's no longer credible. So I think that was where I started. And I think what I'm finding really exciting is that we're now seeing that come to life through Peter's work, which incidentally, I think, I hope Peter's realised, but there's literally no end to that work. He has got himself a never-ending job because one thing will lead to another. But I think one of the other things I've been surprised by pleasantly is the value that I personally and we have seen come from the incremental conversations where we have been able to share ideas, share objectives, share experience and learn from each other on things not to do, things that someone else has already tried, things where we might actually be able to work together in a way that's, well, legal for starters, but also that um, where we can share our experience of what we've done and find a way to make something that's a bit more efficient and effective than we ever could be just being on our own. That's the value that I've seen so far. But I can honestly say that the more work that comes through and the more tangible actions we deliver, I can only see this growing to being more and more effective. Great, thank you. Well, we'll, we'll try and live up to your expectation. Andres, thank you for joining us. You, along with Anne, have been one of our earliest supporters. Why is that? Thank you, Todd. Thank you all the, the present. Well, I am Andres Valero. I am the sustainability leader from Grupo Vinea. We are an Argentinian wine group with operations in Chubut, in Patagonia, and, and in Mendoza, and different wineries as Bodega Argento, Pacheco Pereda. We are the largest organic wine producer. We look ahead to lead sustainable viticulture locally. By the time we start building our strong sustainability program, we already have a strong local network that if different companies collaborate, we can really push sustainability forward. So with that idea in mind, we start looking at which was the right international organization to be in, to be a part of. I think the planets were aligned and we find Toby and Tom that they were looking and saying, we want to do the same thing that you are willing to be involved in. Became great, great partner because we know that to achieve sustainable development can be a thing that you cannot do it on your own. And also you cannot do it on your only section of the supply chain, despite we know that as a producer, we feel that we're a very important part of the supply chain. Still, to see major changes in sustainability, we need to know that we are not the only one driving the chain, but we have the whole supply chain driving the chain. And I think Sustainable Wine Roundtable is the right place to drive chains, to do what we love doing here in Argentina, but what convinced more people to do so. And I think to learn about the, the wine industry. In the wine sector, we, we tend to be very, very collaborative, even if we compete 
in the end because if some of our region is not recognized worldwide, none of the producer on that region will be recognized anywhere. But we haven't done the same with sustainability. We tend to have our own specific programs and our own initiatives. Now it's time to get this initiative worldwide. And also as an Argentinian for us, we're probably to say, well, we can be involved in a global institution and we can have our opinion heard even when we are far away when the, the same things are happening. So we're very happy and I think there is great value there. Andreas, thank you. Here's a question I get asked when we go and meet people at wine expos and so on. They say, oh, sustainable wine, you mean organic? And I say, well, no, it's not that simple. And then we get into quite a long conversation. As the largest organic wine producer in Argentina, why are you such an enthusiastic member of SWR? Because as you know, we're trying to go way beyond that. I'm just really curious as to what conversations you have about. For us, organic is a winemaking philosophy, but sustainability is about our business and how we create value. So it's much more, more than that. We are not only organic certified, we're fair trade certified, we have certified the, the local protocol. We want to drive the chain on sustainability. We think that organic will allow our own vineyards to keep giving the best grape and doing the best wine we can. We also work with a, hand, a network of 100 producers here in Argentina. And we want them to drive into sustainability and to really have impact on the connection. So we think that we want to go beyond organic. We really look to sustainability and how we can collaborate with that. Thank you. The best simple description I've heard of the approach we want to take is one coined by John Entine from the Genetic Literacy Project, who talks about all the tools in the toolbox. Why would you not want to have access to all the tools in the toolbox when you're facing an existential crisis such as climate change? Hard to argue with that. Thank you, Andres. Marta, let me turn to you. So Alliance Wine, tell us about yourself and, and Alliance Wine for those who don't know about your fine products. And then perhaps see if you can add to something that Andres or Anne has said without repetition. Thanks, everyone. And nice to be here today. It's a, it's a pleasure as always. So I'm Marta Juega, I work for Alliance Wines as a winemaker, so I have to deal with different winemaking projects in Portugal, Spain and South America. And I also the principal responsible the sustainability strategy. For us, sustainability become part, a vital part of our culture right now. So we are trying to implement as many sustainability as initiatives as we can. And as part of our objectives at the very beginning for Alliance Wine was to look for a responsible alliance in order to help us to meet our objectives. So we started to do some research and we heard about the sustainable wine the table and we thought that was the best option for us in order to meet these objectives. So we decided to become a member. I don't want to repeat what Andres and Anna say, but I think that for me, the most vital part about the sustainable wine table is a short of knowledge for all of us. I think that it's a safe space for all of us, not only to collaborate, but to debate and to understand what happens with one problem and the effect of this problem into another piece of the supply chain or another actor of the supply chain and understand different challenges that people or wine businesses suffer in different wine regions around the world. So as I say, collaboration, networking, again, a safe place for everyone to find solutions to common challenges. Marta, what's your kind of one-line description that you use for those in your business who say, what is this thing? Not everyone in your company is going to pay the same amount of attention that you do, although it'd be wonderful if they did, to our activities. What's your kind of shorthand when you're asked to describe why you're in this thing? You mean within my company? I think that one of the best parts about being part of the Sustainable Runner Table and what I'm trying to explain, not only within my company, but even other people no, in the wine business, is that it's something that is helping me internally as well to challenge myself. 
to try to continue improve over time because I can see what other people are doing in other business models. And I say, okay, this helps me in order to understand that maybe I can implement this in my company or I can try to collaborate with this person because they are doing a right work on this area. And I think that there is a way to find a common goal together. So I think that is something that pushed me to improve over time what I'm trying to do in terms of sustainability. Okay, thank you. And by the way, this whole session is not just designed to blow our own trumpet and to say how wonderful we are. Um, James and Peter particularly have worked in oil and gas and mining, and they're quite relieved to work in an industry where they're not trying, to, where no one's trying to kidnap them right now. So we're quite used to tough questions. And I do a lot of work in palm oil and those sorts of sectors as well, where stakeholder engagement is usually just trying to get people to stop shouting first and then sit down. And wine is all very friendly, but that doesn't mean that we can only withstand or want to answer friendly questions. So if you have something you really think we should be doing or we've got wrong, uh, we'd love to hear about it. Only with constructive criticism can we improve, much as we love praise. We actually find it quite embarrassing after a while. What we're very happy to hear, though, is that the work we're trying to do collectively, not just us and the operations team, is enabling a culture of sharing and collaboration. And I had a call with uh, Laura Catena a couple of months ago. You know, she has a, a successful wine business, as you know, in Argentina and elsewhere. And I said, Laura, you know, I really don't think we've done very much. We kind of wasted a year. We could have been doing this stuff a year ago. And she said, well, actually just giving us the confidence to collaborate and to have conversations internally and meeting people we've never met before, even if it's on Zoom, has had some benefits. So that was nice to hear. But we're pretty critical of ourselves and we will know how we can do better. So put that in the chat whenever you like. So Dom, let me turn to you now. Wine Society, again, a founding member of SWR. And you come at this from a non-wine background as well, which we find fascinating. Many of us in the roundtable operations team do similar. What would you like to add to those comments from the previous speakers that isn't just kind of repetition about the need for collaboration? I can give an example from my work in other sectors where I've seen this kind of thing really work well. At the Wine Society, we're pretty early on in our sustainability journey. Although we've been doing a lot, I think, naturally over many years, we only really properly launched our sustainability plan this year, I think in June. And what you quickly realise as a retailer is when you start implementing a sustainability plan um, like the one we've got, is you've got this really big paradox to deal with. On the one hand, you have this big wave kind of pushing retailers like us to take more responsibility for our social, environmental, economic impacts from our customers, our staff, legislation that's coming out, you know, need to reduce risks. But then on the other hand, you find you actually don't have direct control over many of these impacts yourself because they're either in your upstream or downstream value chain or they're systemic risks. Um, so a good illustration of this is we've just done our carbon footprinting. 94% um, of our carbon emissions are scope three. That won't be anything new to many of you. And we've got 900 suppliers we work with. How do you work with all of them to reduce those emissions? You know, going back to the points that the others have made, it is worth repeating in a way that if we're going to stand a chance of getting anywhere, you do need to collaborate on all of the things you just can't directly control yourselves. And for us, that's our scope three emissions, or for everyone it is, it's tackling glass, it's reversing biodiversity and nature loss, it's addressing human rights, abuses and poor working conditions in the supply chain. But to do that, we need to pool resources, expertise, you know, sustainability budgets are really hard to come by these days, especially in today's economic climate. And we need the scale 
to actually make a difference um, to address some of these systemic challenges. And I think that's what the likes of SWR can really help do. And just to give one example that, you know, I, I'm new to wine that I saw in another sector, where they were really successful of solving a systemic sustainability challenge. Um, there's quite a lot of examples from the clothing industry. So there are a lot of harmful chemicals used by that industry. The problem is that the brands all want to keep using them because they're really useful. It's all the dyes and kind of things like that. But a bunch of brands, manufacturers, chemical companies, NGOs, so people right from across their value chain came together. They created this hazardous chemicals roadmap. They all signed up to it and very quickly eliminated 11 substances that are really harmful to people, workers, environment. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it was a really big step change for the industry. And once they'd done that one thing, they found that after that, many other things quickly followed. So yeah, I just think there's some really good examples out there where collaborations like these have worked. That's an excellent example, actually. I mean, the clothing industry which I've worked in for many years doing conferences and meetings and research and so on, was dragged kicking and screaming to the table. And ZDHC that you reference, I've put it in the chat, is a really interesting example. And that was all started by the Greenpeace campaign, what, about 10, 12 years ago, which basically raised the idea of toxic waste discharge from apparel and the effect it was having on human health. And it's funny, often in sustainability, it's only when we start to see human health impacts <laughs> that people really start taking it seriously. But we don't need to get that far with wine. There's a lot we can learn from. So thank you for that example, Dom. Chris, you're one of our newest members, so we thought we'd go easy on you and allow you to go last in this. Really keen to hear what your expectations are for why you've joined and what we can do to add value for you. Like Toby says, we've just joined, um, let's say a month or, or so ago, um, but full of expectation that it's going to be money well spent. You know, already we're seeing that there's a lot going on with all of your events and the value that you're adding through the various projects, etc. And it's really, I think, up to each member to extract as much value as they're able to from their membership, sort of like having a gym contract in, in some regards. But anyway, I think, you know, we've heard knowledge has been a big theme of the day so far. Like that platform for knowledge sharing has been, obviously, that's one of the reasons why we joined. But I think more than that, you're also obviously creating knowledge in the sense that, you know, you're taking questions and doing the research to answer them. And those are questions that are common to all of us. So it's just really good and really efficient for us to piggyback on that work and contribute to it wherever we can. The alternative being very expensive consultant in many cases or some academic project or partnership, which you know might take a long time to turn around a report. So knowledge and brokerage and creation, I think, is a big theme. We also love the idea of and your ambition in setting out to set up a global standard. So that focus on an international view, I mean, that wow, that is huge. And if we've got work being done here, wherever, that is as relevant to us as it is to Andres in Argentina or someone else in Australia, New Zealand, wherever they are, that's really, really important. And Dom will agree, you've got all those hundreds and hundreds of suppliers and, and they're all over the world. So that's super relevant for us. That whole piece around collaboration, you know, we, we at Direct Wines, we've been on the sustainability journey for a few years now, although we're new to the round table, at least three or more years of measurement and you know, picking the low hanging fruit. And then you get to the point where it's like, well, actually, this is getting really tough. 
and the doors that we have to open are bigger and heavier. And you know, now we've got to lobby governments and speak to glass manufacturers and go and have conversations that are tough to have with big, heavy industries like shipping, international freighting, et cetera, et cetera. That's where all those big, big scope three emissions are sitting. And for us to, I suppose, be able to put our collected weight against those doors just makes sense. So we're going to budge them a bit sooner and a bit, maybe open them a bit faster, wider. So that's in a nutshell why we've joined. Maybe one more reason. And, you know, we thought it's, it's quite important for our culture, a big part of it, that we want to have a bit of fun. And why not have a bit of fun through the roundtable as well? It's an opportunity for us to meet like-minded people to talk sustainability, and, and hopefully we get a lot of enjoyment out of that process as well, particularly if we can, in time, do so in person, perhaps over a, a bottle of wine, sustainable wine. So there you go. That's why we joined. Well, thanks very much, Chris. That's really helpful. And we're conscious of the fact that although we do kind of repeat ourselves a bit when we get together for these sorts of things, you can't emphasize clarity enough because in my experience, if somebody can misunderstand something, they often will. <laughs> um, and so th this exercise today is really about us really having that level of clarity about what we're looking for, but also hearing it again from the members is very powerful for us because we can get bogged down in the operations team as, you know, what we're doing next, but actually we need to be constantly reminded of how we add value. So thank you. Well, look, we can take some questions now. Uh, we can even bring people in on video because you've all been very efficient with your time. We have up to 20 minutes, although we can finish earlier if need be. Would anyone out there who's been either contributing to the chat or otherwise like to join us to make a comment or ask a question? I know there are some esteemed wine folks here. And I'm sure you're not short of a view or opinion. So we'd love to hear from you. Toby, Betsy raised a question. What are we doing in SWR to help our members to engage, I guess, on an auditable ESG dialogue with the financial and potentially regulatory community. So how do we bring the macro sustainability agenda focused into those very precise ESG reporting requirements that are required by investors? And jumped in with a few good points on that as well, saying that if we can really show that sustainability has the money behind it, it is part of enabling that investment, then of course, that's very powerful. Peter, just perhaps with your work on the standard, if you've got any comments around how the global standard might evolve to provide that kind of ESG output, any comments on that? Yeah, just a comment on that and then a comment on a slightly different point within that umbrella. In terms of where we're trying to move with this reference standard, it's to try and create a degree of clarity and a degree of transparency across standards, which at the moment look very different, which obviously from an ESG, being able to tick boxes perspective is, is quite difficult. So if we can get to a situation where there can be a broadly a read across between different standards in different parts of the world, then obviously that's going to help considerably to sort of fill the ESG bucket. So for example, when Anne is responding to the ESG fraternity that, that she needs to do with, for example, there's a greater read across, a greater degree of consonance between what's going on. So to make the communication of that better. And obviously what we might be able to do at some stage further down the line, and this is perhaps where we might be moving with the, the inputs group, is to begin to share good practice and therefore get, again, a degree of system across the industry. Not entirely, because there will always be massive differences given the, the nature of the, the industry, but at least getting consonants and read across where possible. I think the other point I'd make, and this really feeds into work that Toby and I have been doing across sort of agricultural supply chains over the last couple of years, is that particularly when you look at it from an ESG perspective, there's a lot of assumed truths 
and quite a lot of unfortunate questions that people would rather they didn't get asked. And what we want to try and do is to make sure we're asking the right questions. I mean, to come to the point about, for example, the point about organic, there's a general presumption that organic is the acme and anything else is trying to reach that. Now, absolutely, organic is brilliant, but that's not to say that everything else can't also be very good. And it's being able to take some of those proverbial ESG sacred cows and put them on the barbecue, preferably with a very nice glass of Californian red, but to really try and ask those slightly awkward truths that otherwise don't necessarily get aired. And also to give voice to those people who are actually doing these things for real, you know, like Andres and his colleagues, who are actually up in the vineyard getting their shoes muddy, and sometimes probably find themselves asking what end up being slightly daft questions by people sitting in offices in London, New York and Geneva. So if we can be part of the process of actually making sure that what's actually going on is what gets focused on rather than what the latest piece of jargon happens to be, then I think we will be performing a valuable function within the ESG space. Thank you very much, Peter. That reminds me of a meeting I had a few years ago with the owner of one of the world's best known premium Bordeaux brands. And they've got a great sustainability story. And I was sat with him and I said, well, you know, you guys have done a great job. You know, you've really inspired people to understand what can be done with soil rehabilitation in Pesach. And he said, well, yeah, it's all very well. You know, it's great. But I've got a vineyard across the road, which is a Cru Bourgeois, where the wine sells for, what did he say, less than 15 euros a bottle. I can't do any of the things that I'm doing over here, over there, because the economics, unless I just spend loads of money on it, because the economics are not adding up for me. What am I going to do with that vineyard? I didn't have an answer for him, except to say, well, this is the kind of thing we want to be creating collaborations and tools to affect. We want that vineyard to be able to operate as sustainably as possible, alongside the one across the road where the wine sell for eight times the price. That's a, for me, was a real kind of moment of thinking, who are we trying to impact here? Because you, you go to vineyards where the owners have got lots of money. <laughs> you see lots of very nice things happening and it's very good. But only 12% of Bordeaux's wine is sold for more than 12 euros a bottle, which is a memorable stat I heard recently. I'm sure Anne will correct me if I'm wrong on that. But if that's the case, and let's assume that it is, how are we going to impact those marginal growers and those companies, that, those wine businesses that don't have a brand to rely on? That's really what motivates me. How do we help the kind of farmers that Peter and I work with in other areas of agriculture? Because they're the important ones. That's what most people drink, after all, and not the 100 euro bottle across the road in that particular story. So does anybody want to add anything at this point? Erica, thank you, saying we made a very good point. I'm going to assume that refers to all of us. Thank you. And Tom has mentioned here the first in our conference series, in our webinar series for next year, we're doing a climate change conference. The climate change conference, Tom and I have spent a really long time on, and we're asking really tough questions. How do we get beyond having some baby dog sheep in a vineyard with some nice smiling stakeholders on our website? Let's actually talk about what you actually do. So that conference is designed to be very practical and we would welcome all of you uh, to take part in that. If you want to be a speaker, please do contact Tom. We're looking forward to an excellent debate there. That'll be an, a one-day conference online on the 1st of February 2023. Well, I've not seen anyone or been told that anyone else has any more questions. So thank you all for your time and engagement. We encourage all of you to join us. You can do two things after this if you're not on our email lists. You can go to sustainablewine.co.uk and sign up there for updates. You can go to swroundtable.org and sign up for further updates there, depending on your level of interest. So we look forward to you doing that. Thank you all for your time, and we'll be back very soon with more of these. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye.